opportunities just to come to learn of you, to worship you, and to fellowship with you. Help us to never take that for granted. We're thankful to be able to meet here freely and openly, and we just praise you for that. And Lord, help us to grow in this, not just to become spiritually large ourselves, but to take this and pass this on to other people, to really be a light and a witness and always say and do. I pray this would impact us as we can impact other people. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. Exodus 15, and if you want to go ahead and get ahead of the game here, 1 Corinthians 10 and Philippians 2. Exodus 15 is where we're going to start out, but we're also going to 1 Corinthians 10 and also Philippians chapter 2. Now, we're changing kind of a little bit of a tone here with our Wednesday nights. Uh, We've been going through the book of Exodus, and as you know, we just finished up with the plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea the last couple weeks. So, the crossing of the Red Sea was two weeks ago. Last week, we had this great chapter in Exodus 15, this great, basically, song of praise that they sang after crossing the Red Sea of just, look what the Lord has done, and amen to that. And that's where we left off. And I wish we could have ended at verse 21, but we can't. Because what happens is, verse 22... Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, Marah means bitter, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? It took them three days to start complaining. Three days. This is the group of people that just saw those plagues. I mean, they they saw the Nile get turned to blood. They saw the frogs. They saw the flies. They saw the darkness over Egypt. They knew the wailing of the firstborn being killed. Uh, They saw the hail mixed with fire. They saw all these plagues. And if that wasn't enough, they just a few days earlier saw the Red Sea part cross on dry land and then watch the Red Sea come back down upon Pharaoh and all his troops. And then three days later, they're complaining. Just think about that. Three days later, they were complaining. Complaining is what I like to call in the body of Christ an acceptable sin. There are certain sins in the church that are acceptable. Now, we know they're wrong, but we accept them. Because we say things like this. You're really struggling with something. You're really worked up about it. You come and you say, I'm really worried about this. This is really heavy on my heart. I'm I'm worrying. I'm thinking about it all the time. Hey, what's going on? So it's a work situation. It's your granddaughter. It's your daughter. It's your son. And you say, I'm really worried. And what we say is this. Oh, I'd be worried if I was you too. Let's pray. So just take out worry and replace it with sin. Oh, I'd sin if I was you too. Or complaining. What's going on? You don't look like you're really happy tonight. Oh, it was a bad day at work. What happened? Oh, my boss, you wouldn't believe it. This, this, and this. Or my wife, you can't believe what she said. Or this is what's going on. My back's hurting. Oh, man, if I was in your spot too, that'd be rough. If I was in your spot, I'd be sinning right along with you. Complaining, worrying, acceptable sins. Jesus did not die for the worriers and the complainers. Why are those sins acceptable? Because we're so used to it. We're, we, we think it's okay. And especially, it's interesting, and, and I've joked about this before, and some of you contact me through email, phone call, or text, and always tell me I'm wrong. So let me just publicly tell you you're wrong, and then you can text me <laughs> privately and tell me I'm wrong. We sometimes do this. We have this complaining, worrying mindset, 
And we won't do it publicly, but we'll do it in our small little circle. And it's almost like husband-wife confidentiality. Anything I tell Dawn is really not a sin because we're already, you know, together. And I've shared with you before that the one gal sent me an email that basically said, if you're really one flesh with your spouse, it's like you just talking to yourself. So it really shouldn't be called worrying or complaining to someone else. We do this. I have noticed that there's things I will say to Dawn I would never say to anybody else. I would never say publicly my my real thoughts are about that person or what I really think about that situation. But for some reason, in the context of our kitchen, we can say whatever we want because it's an acceptable sin. God hates complaining. He hates it. And this is what Israel did, which you see here. You see this in, in uh, Exodus 15, 24. They're complaining about drink. Then in Exodus 16, they're complaining about food. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then Exodus 17, they're complaining about drink again. Numbers 11, they complained so much that God sent a fire to come around the outside of the camp and start killing them. Now, before you start thinking, well, I'm glad I didn't park on the outside of the camp, you have to remember what that also is spiritually a picture of. In the middle of the camp was the what? Tabernacle. Wouldn't you want to be as close to the tabernacle as you could? So the people on the outside of the camp, it's really a spiritual picture of people that wanted to be kind of a distance from the Lord, a little bit of lukewarm. But anyway, then in Numbers 14, they complained about the promised land. It wasn't good enough, so God said what? You're not going in. You're going to wander for 38 years. Then jump ahead again. In Numbers 16, they complained about leadership. And you remember what happened when they complained about the leadership? Over 14,000 of them died. Think about the next time you say something about me. I'm just telling you, just think about that. Over 14,000 died because they complained about leadership. They're complaining about drink. They're complaining about food. They're complaining about water. They're complaining about promised land. They're complaining about leadership. They just constantly complained. God basically said, enough is enough. I'm not dealing with you anymore. You guys are going to wander around for four decades, and I'm going to let you guys die off, and I'm going to start afresh because you're complaining. This has gotten too much. I had you go to 1 Corinthians 10. Look at 1 Corinthians 10. Let's go ahead and start uh, with verse 8. Speaking of the children of Israel in the wilderness. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Look at verse 10. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. God puts complaining on the same level as sexual morality. But in church, complaining is an acceptable sin. God puts complaining on the same level as sexual morality. That's how much he hates complaining. Go to Philippians 2, please. Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Do all things. In the original Greek, all things comes first to stress to you that everything should be done without complaining. And the word do in the original Greek is what's called the imperative. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not an ideal. God is telling you. He is commanding you to do all things without complaining. All things. Try to find an exception to all things. That means you don't complain about the government. 
You don't complain about your boss. You don't complain about your spouse. You don't complain about your health. You don't complain about your dog. You don't complain about your food. You don't complain about anything. All things. Now, once again, see, now this is where we have acceptable sins in the body of Christ. I agree. There are certain things we shouldn't complain about. But there's all this other stuff that, I mean, come on. I'm really just supposed to let this go? See, why is it that if we don't complain, we're letting it go? Well, somebody needs to say something. No, they don't. You're that bothered by it? Have you prayed and fasted over it? It fascinates me in the nearly 20 years that I've been out here doing stuff, how often people are coming up to me with a complaint about something, but yet they haven't fasted over it, they haven't prayed over it, they haven't wept over it, but they're sure quick to complain about it. Then it's not just about church things, it's about life stuff. It's about work, it's about home, it's about school, it's about the government, it's about the world. Do all things without complaining. Do all things. Why does God hate complaining so much? If you're a note taker, I just wrote down three things. First one, because it shows that we don't like his good. Remember Romans 8.28, we've been talking about this the last couple of Sundays, and all things God works for the good. Psalms, the Lord is good and does good. So when I'm complaining, what I'm really saying is, Lord, I don't like the good you're doing in my life. And if you haven't been with us the last couple Sundays, you know the response to that is, well, I don't think what's happening in my life is good. And you know our answer to that is, God's definition of good is different than your definition of good. Just like God's definition of bad is different than your definition of bad. So what you deem as not being good may not be what God deems as not being good. There's things that's happened in my life where I say, Lord, that's not good. God says, it is good because I can see the big picture. So why does God hate complaining? Because it shows you don't like his good. He says, I have allowed this into your life for good. Well, I don't like it. So you're really saying, I don't, next point, trust you, Lord. I don't trust him. So he doesn't like that. What else does complaining show? It shows we aren't content. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 8, 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 8, Paul has this great case where he says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. So when you complain about your car or you complain about your house, you're really saying, Lord, I'm not content. When you complain about your spouse, I'm not content. When I complain about my job, I'm not content. When I complain about this or that, I'm not content. And really what God is trying to say is, you have Jesus and Jesus is all you need. Jesus is all you need. So when we complain, we're saying, Jesus isn't enough. Now, you may not really be saying that, but that's really what you're saying. My salvation is not enough to bring me joy in life, so I have to complain about other things. And the third point, it shows that we aren't heavenly minded. Colossians 3, 2 says we're supposed to set our mind on heavenly things. Why do we complain? We complain because we get our minds stuck on things in this world. You know what, guys? This world is completely, utterly falling apart. Are we still surprised by this? It amazes me how shocked Christians are when they see sin in the world. It's there. It's all over. We shouldn't be surprised by this anymore. So God hates complaining because it shows that we don't trust him and we don't like his good. God hates complaining because it shows that we're not content with what is happening in our lives. And God hates complaining because it shows that we aren't heavenly-minded. So when all those things happen, we're basically saying, God, you're not enough for me, so therefore I'm going to complain. What is complaining? Let's define that. The word complaining literally means grumbling or murmuring. 
In the original language, it means to say it under your breath or behind the back. See, a lot of times our complaining is never even verbalized. It just stays right in our heart. And it just fascinates me as believers how we have also considered an acceptable sin. It's not sin if it doesn't come out of my mouth. Man, how often do we walk around with this heart of complaining under our breath, murmuring? I see it in my boys. Guys, can you go do this? What'd you say? Nothing. Oh, don't do that to me. You learned that from your mom, you know? (laughs) Under the breath. Behind the back, secret complaint. Now, isn't there ever a time that you're allowed to complain? I always go to Jesus. Let's just go to Jesus. Jesus got frustrated. Jesus got more than frustrated. Jesus called people sons of hell. That's kind of a big statement to say. I don't encourage you to do that at work tomorrow. (laughs) Jesus, and 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 I was trying to find a passage in the Bible where Jesus looks like he's complaining. Best one I could find was uh, Luke 9.41, and you can just write it down, you can look at it sometimes. That's where Jesus throws his hands up in the air, looks to heaven, and says, Oh, worthless and perverse generation, how much longer shall I deal with you? That sounds like complaining, right? We have to understand here this balance of having bad days, having bad moments. Because what happens is you hear this verse of like Philippians 2.14, and it's like, I'm not allowed to have a bad day. I'm not, I'm not allowed to have a bad moment. I'm not, I mean, I'm not allowed to look at this world sometimes and be frustrated. No, that's not what we're saying. You can have bad days. You can have bad moments. But you can't allow bad days and bad moments to be turned into sin. The example is always anger. Anger is not a sin. It's what you do while you're angry that determines whether it's a sin or not. You're going to get angry. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. For some reason, as believers, we've got to this point where we say, well, I'm not allowed to get angry. God got angry. Jesus got angry. There's a righteous anger. But my anger cannot turn into sin. My anger cannot turn into punching walls and saying things that are inappropriate and yelling and screaming and not representing Jesus. We're going to get in a few chapters here to this picture of Moses, of where he allowed his anger to misrepresent God. And God says, Moses, you can't go into the promised land. So anger is not sin. It's what you do while you're angry that determines it's sin. So my point is this. Frustrating moments in life are not sinful. You will get frustrated over people and situations and, and, and just the dumb things they do. But you've got to catch yourself that you don't allow that frustration to become sin. Trust me, as, as a pastor... I see people, I see marriages, I see relationships, and you see the time that you invest into them because you care, and then you see them making stupid choices, and you're like so frustrated. But I can't allow that frustration to then become a complaint. There is a balance there. There is a line there. I can get frustrated at my kids. I can get frustrated at my life situations. I can get frustrated at my wife. My wife can get frustrated at me. But we can't allow that frustration to then to turn into a sin where it becomes a problem. And to be perfectly honest, for a lot of us, we don't put the brakes on when we see frustrations becoming complaints. We don't. A lot of us don't put the brakes on when we see anger becoming sin. Because we're so used to it, it becomes acceptable. You can be frustrated, but don't allow that to become a sin of complaining. 
Now, a lot of times people ask me, well, where's the line? You know what? I think we all know where the line is. I really do. I mean, I really do. Like when someone says, well, how do I know when anger becomes sinful anger? Oh, come on. You know when anger becomes sinful anger. You do. Well, how do I know when frustration becomes complaint? Because there's something called the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you and convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You know it. Now, how do we get around that? Well, we get around that in a lot of ways. We do things like this. Well, I just won't say anything then. Oh, come on. Or you do the whole... <gasps> what, did you have something to say? No. no. You look like you had something to say. No, I just heard Pastor James teach on Philippians 2.14, so I'm not, I'm not going to say anything. Oh, come on. We do those things. Because what happens is this. I want to let you know I'm upset, but I want to look mature and holy and mighty. You know how you look mature, mighty, and holy? But just not even doing it. If you're that bothered by something, go home and pray for it. Go home and fast over it. Go home and seek the Lord over it. And if the Lord keeps bringing it to your heart where it needs to be addressed, then you follow Matthew 18 and you go address it. But how often do we first just say something? Because our opinion is that vital and that important. How can the world turn without knowing what I think? The complaining, something God does not like, and dare I say, God hates. God hates. So they complained against Moses, verse 24, verse 25. So he cried out to the Lord. We're back in Exodus 15. And the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it in the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twenty, excuse me, 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. So God provided. He provided in two ways. First off, they threw the tree in and the waters became drinkable. He says, guys, verse 26, I'm testing you. I'm testing you. Are you going to do what's right? And then verse 27, they get to go to an oasis. Elam means palms. So they start out in bitter, and they end up in palms. And God says, I'm going to test you. We have lost this aspect. God will test you. That's the only way to see if you're growing. And that's the only way to see if you're maturing in the Lord is to go through a test. So therefore, if you want to know if you have patience, you've got to be tested with something that's impatient. If you want to know if you love like Jesus, you've got to be around an unlovable person. I have come to the conclusion that in my walk, in my ministry, in my life, there will always be one person, one person that I just borderline cannot even stand. For God to say, James, can you really love the unlovables? How am I supposed to know whether I'm a complainer or not? Well, I'm going to put you in a position... That would be really easy for 99.9% of the world to complain. And then I'm going to see how you handle that. And that's going to be revealing. See, back to our acceptable sin. When I go to work, obviously it's okay to complain because that's what everybody else does. Everybody else complains about the boss. Everybody else complains about the shift they're working on. Everybody else complains about the brakes. Everybody else complains about the machines breaking down. So why can't I? Because you're held to a different moral standard. You're held to a godly principle. And therefore, the way you handle those difficult times is a stronger light and a witness than you can ever imagine. But yet, if you're just like the world and word and deed and complaint, 
how is anybody ever supposed to see Jesus Christ in you? And if our whole point is to proclaim Jesus Christ to a world that needs it, if I'm acting like the world, how am I a magnet to unbelievers? You know what's powerful? When there's a group of six guys at work, and five of those guys are just going off about everything, and the one guy says nothing. That's powerful. So what usually happens in that situation is those other five guys look at you and say, well, what do you think? Now, what do you think? You can just say they're right and you're a part of the group, or you can say, you know what? I'm here to work as if working for the Lord, not for man. Now, see, now we can't say that, right? I mean, that's what they say in the Christian movies. And the little music starts to swell up. And then everybody just hits their knees and says, save me, Jesus. Why is it that we have gotten to the point of we're afraid to take a stand for what's just right? You are held to a different standard. And that different standard is Philippians 2.14, do all things without complaining. I mean, that, that, that's the truth of it. I'm held to a different standard. Don't get me wrong, there's times in my flesh where I want to complain. Because to be quite honest, it feels good to complain for a little bit. But what happens is complaining never helps. Now, usually at this time, there's someone that says something, well, I don't complain, I vent. I think that's called splitting hairs, but I, I can see a difference. I, I think we have to understand this. Venting is here's the problem I'm facing. It annoys me. It frustrates me. I'm coming to you as a brother and sister in Christ to get my eyes back on Jesus and to help me be where I'm supposed to be. So here's my problem. When I start to ramble on about it, tell me to shut up and give me scriptures and tell me I need to pray because that's what's going to grow me. Because if I just complain for 15, 20 minutes and I say something like this at the end, oh, I just feel better now. What spiritually changed in your life to feel better? I just had to get that out. No, you didn't. You had to confess that sin, give it over to Jesus, and say, Lord, give me joy through all circumstances. Venting is, I'm struggling with this, and I want help. Help me get my eyes on Christ. Complaining is, will you just listen to me for a while? There's a difference there. And we need to understand. We need to know that difference. Real quick, any questions, comments about this before we go on? i got one final point that I want to make. All right. I think the question comes up back in Exodus 15. They complained about the water, but rightfully so, kind of, right? I mean, God took them to Mara where he knew they couldn't drink the water. God allowed the bitter water into their life. He allowed that. I mean, can you imagine what was going through these people's minds? I just think of my kids, my boys. Every night before they go to bed, everybody wants to drink water. Everybody wants to drink water. I mean, we'll, we'll be driving down I-75, and somebody just has to have a water emergency. i got to have a drink. I can't imagine as a parent walking, and my kids are getting thirsty. They want to drink. And we finally get up to Mara, and I see this water. Boys, go drink. It's bitter. God, in his infinite wisdom, led them to an undrinkable place. Do you realize that? God, in his infinite wisdom, will sometimes take you to a place that is bitter. Not because he doesn't love you or because he's angry at you or what have you. He already said why he did this. Verse 25, he tested them. He tested them. Shouldn't somebody have stood up and said, guys, guys, I know the water's bitter. I know the water is bitter. We're all thirsty. 
But guys, three days ago, he just, he just parted the Red Sea. I, I bet if we just get together and just ask the Lord, he will bless it and he'll take care of it. Guys, don't you remember just a month ago, we just, we just saw frogs. I mean, we saw lots of frogs. Don't you remember that? No, let's just complain. So God takes us to a bitter area first as a test. And how was the bitter waters made sweet? Well, he says right here in verse 25, they threw a tree in there. Now, can we just take verse 25 and just completely overly simplify verse 25? Can't the tree just represent the cross? That when you are faced a bitter situation in life, when you just throw the cross on that situation, all of a sudden bitter situations become sweet because you're looking at it through the eyes of Jesus. Any complaining you have right now, anything that you brought in tonight that's a complaint, if you would say complaint compared to the cross, your complaint disappears. So when you face the bitter waters of Mara in life, you need to get the cross and you need to throw it at the bitterness and say, through what Jesus Christ did on the cross, I can have unspeakable joy. I can have joy that surpasses all understanding. I can have peace that surpasses all understanding because the cross takes bitter waters and makes them sweet. That's what the tree does. That's what Jesus does. And really, if we're going to be completely honest, when we allow bitterness and worry and complaining to dictate our life, we're really not having our eyes on the cross. Because when you look at the cross, you know what the song says. All these things in this earth grow strangely dim. All of a sudden, that boss that I can't stand becomes a non-believer that needs to know Jesus. All of a sudden, that spouse that is just completely awful and I can't handle being around becomes somebody that I look at through the eyes of Jesus, saying, I just need to love the unlovable sometimes. You know, everything pales when you look at the cross. So if you're, let's just be honest, if you're a complainer, God love you, you're in sin. You have trained yourself to respond to all situations in life in sin. Confess that to the Lord. Give that to him. Seek the joy that only comes when you look at things through the cross being thrown on the water. And I'm going to ask you this just completely honestly. Really seek the Lord on whether you're a complainer, because this is what I've noticed. People that have a heart of complaining are so used to it, they don't even realize it anymore. And you go up to your friends. Do I complain a lot? Oh, no, never, never, never. Let's just end the conversation and move on. Ask the Holy Spirit if you complain a lot. And then listen. Because in Psalm 139, the Bible says that if you ask God, he will search us and try us, and he'll reveal in our hearts those errors that we need to work on. Before we partake of communion on Sundays, you know what happens. We go to 1 Corinthians, and it says, let a man examine himself. Ask the Lord. Lord, have I allowed complaining to get the best of me? Because really what I'm doing is saying, I don't trust your good. I'm showing that I'm not content. and I'm showing I'm not heavenly minded. Boy, Lord, help us to get our eyes back on you. Anybody got any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up? Yes, Kathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moses later becomes the complainer. It, it is so fascinating how if you are around that, it sucks you into it. It, it really honestly does. And that's where it's so hard sometimes to be a light and a witness. And one thing also I notice with Moses, as time goes on in Exodus and Numbers, when they come to him to complain, Moses says, why are you complaining to me? Go to God. You know, Moses kind of reaches this point of frustration saying, I don't even want to hear it anymore. 
And God reaches a point of saying, I don't want to hear it anymore. That's why there's fire outside the camp. That's why 14,000 are falling dead because God says, I can't even work with you guys anymore. I mean, seriously, think about this. The generation that saw the plagues and the Red Sea had to be killed off in the wilderness for four decades because the only thing they would do is complain about God not providing and taking care of them. And a few short chapters, they're going to sit around their campfire saying, you remember how good we had it in Egypt? Oh, to be a slave again. That was the best. Remember how fun it was to be a slave? Now, the spiritual picture is we do that now. You are set free in Jesus Christ. But we sit around the campfire. Remember the fun we used to have on Friday nights? Oh, yeah, that was great. We'd come home completely wasted. That was so much fun. We sit around the campfire and dream of being a slave to sin again. The Egyptians dreamed of being a slave back in Egypt. Where look at what God provided. We're going to get into manna here just next week. Every morning, their breakfast was provided. Just go pick it up. They had quail that was right at waist height that they could just grab. Everything was provided. You know, Rich taught a couple weeks ago, you know, about the... Um, about the fire and about the cloud, you know, the heat and about the shade. Everything was provided. Their shoes did not wear out. They still complained. They complained because their eyes weren't on the Lord like they were supposed to be. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? All right. Well, hey, let's close with the word of prayer. And then we need to split the chairs here uh, for the funeral on Saturday. And don't forget the sign-up sheets back there, all the different events. Um, for anybody that has anything they want to pray about, remember, come on up here. And we'll get a chance. We'll pray together as a body of Christ. Give this over to the Lord. If you've got things you've got to do, feel free to go ahead and take off. But we're going to take the last ten minutes here for those that want just to have a time of prayer up here. Let's pray. Lord, we seek you that we would truly not be the complainers. You said in Corinthians that that is an example given to us. Lord, help us. Help us to seek you. Help us to put you first. And whatever we do or say, to go through the filter of Jesus, to not allow frustrations to become complaints, to not allow worry to become sin, anger to become sin, complaining to become sin, but just to focus on you, Lord. And when those rough, tough times of life come up, help us to remember the joy of the cross of who you are. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. Go before this in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week, and God bless.